Back in 1992, Chuck Colson wrote in the magazine Christianity Today these words. Now remember this was 1992. That was the year I became your pastor. That was a while back, 1992. He said, There's a, there was a time when most Americans respected the Bible and could quote it with authority. In 1963, according to a Gallup poll, 65% believed the Bible literally. Today that number is only 32%. There was a time when most Americans were familiar with biblical doctrine. You could say believe in Jesus and at least they knew what you meant. But today most would be mystified. Newsweek magazine tells of a child who saw a crucifix and asked, Mommy, what's that man doing? There was a time when most Americans accepted absolute standards. They might disagree on what those absolutes were, but they knew that some things are always right and other things are always wrong. Today, 70% reject moral absolutes. Things were bad in 1992. They've only gotten worse since. If our present biblical knowledge is pitiful, then our present application of the Bible to our lives is even worse. This morning... As we continue with our series, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit, I want to share with you a message simply entitled, The Spirit and Life Application. The Spirit and Life Application. How does the Holy Spirit impact our daily lives? How does the Holy Spirit use the Word of God to change our lives and help us become more of what He wants us to be? Here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit works through the Bible to help us apply God's truth to our lives. The Holy Spirit works through the Bible to help us apply God's truth to our lives. I want you to remember our definition of the Holy Spirit. We've used it in every message in this series. The Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of Jesus, fulfilling God's purpose of redemption in and through His people, the church. So as the Holy Spirit of God works in and through us, He is fulfilling His eternal purpose to redeem mankind through the death of Christ on the cross. That's God's purpose. And He's doing it through us, and He's doing it through His Spirit. You see, it's, it's all good and fine for us to believe in a biblical concept of inspiration. Last Sunday morning we talked about the Spirit and Scripture inspiration. And, and we're right to believe that, that God inspired the biblical writers to record perfectly His revelation of Himself to man. We believe that Bible, the, the Bible has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. All that is good and fine for us to have a strong belief in the inspiration of the Scriptures. And it's very important that we interpret the Scriptures correctly. That we don't bring our own meaning to the Word of God, but we let the Word of God speak to us as it ought to speak to us. Convict us where it needs to convict us. Help us to start doing things we need to start doing and stop doing things we need to stop doing. It's right for us to interpret the Word of God correctly. But dear friend, we can believe in inspiration and we can have good methods of interpretation, but if we don't apply the Bible to our lives consistently, we have missed God's purpose for His Word in our lives. We've got to apply the Bible. The application of Scripture. Doing the Word of God. Not just hearing. Not just interpreting. But doing the Word of God is the ultimate purpose for which God gave us the Word of God. And we must do the Word of God. So let's begin with the first truth this morning's message. Number one, the Word of God lives because the Spirit lives in the Word. The Word of God lives because the Spirit lives in the Word. 
Now, when you're doing expository preaching, and that just means using the Bible, expounding the Bible in your preaching, and you're preaching through biblical books, it's fairly easy because you know what next week's Scripture is going to be. You don't have to do a whole lot of searching for things, and you know to go to that, and you're going to preach from that. It's going to work out real easily. But sometimes when you're doing topical series, like this series on the Holy Spirit has been, then you have to choose your own Scriptures. You have to figure out which Scriptures apply to the topic that you're pursuing. And this morning, one of the Scriptures that really does apply to the topic of applying the Bible to our lives is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says to us this, For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges at the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Greek word for living is zoe. We've got a zoe here. The Greek word for living is zoe. The word from which we get our English word zoology, the study of animal life. The word literally means life or living. The Greek word for powerful is the Greek word energes. Greek word from which we get the English word energy, as a matter of fact. It means that God's word is all-powerful in our lives. In John chapter 6, Jesus says something that is amazingly similar to your first point in this morning's message. In John 6, 63, Jesus says, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and full of life. So God's word is living Because the Spirit of God lives in the Word of God. And when the Word of God is spoken to us, the Spirit of God seeks to take that Word and apply it to our hearts and lives so that we are living according to the Word of God. One of the most dramatic examples of the Bible's divine power to transform men and women involved the famous mutiny on the bounty. In 1789, following their rebellion against the notorious Captain Bly, Nine mutineers, along with the Tahitian men and women who accompanied them, found their way to Pitcairn Island, a tiny dot in the South Pacific, only two miles long, one mile wide, some 3,500 miles from the nearest population of New Zealand. After ten years, drunkenness and fighting had left only one white man alive, John Adams. He, along with 11 women and 23 children, made up the rest of the island's population. So far, this is the familiar story that you get in the movie. But there's a twist to the story. There's a rest of the story that is absolutely remarkable. About that time, Adams came across the bounty's Bible in the bottom of an old chest. And he began to read it. And the divine power of God's Word reached into the heart of that hardened murderer on a tiny volcanic speck in the South Pacific and changed his life forever. And he began to take the Bible because of the peace and love he had found in the Scriptures. He began to take the Bible into his own life and it ended the quarreling, the brawling, the fighting, the alcoholism. He began to teach the children from the Bible until every person on the island had experienced the very same life transformation that he had experienced. And they became Christians too. And they said at one time, you could not go to Pitcairn Island. It's a very small island with a very small population. But you could not go to Pitcairn Island and find an unbeliever. Because they were all believers. That's the power of the living word. Then secondly, through the Word, the Spirit convicts us of things we need to start and things we need to stop. Through the Spirit, 
or through the Word rather, the Spirit convicts us of things we need to start and things we need to stop. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him with whom we must give an account. Dear friend, God knows ourselves better than we do. He knows our sins better than we do. He knows our faults. He knows everything about us. Everything about us is absolutely clear to God. And He loves us anyway. Isn't that amazing? And He loves us anyway. And He uses His Word to try to purify us. His Word to try to cleanse us. His Word to try to change us and to transform us. And notice the wording of verse 12 again. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. You've experienced that. I've experienced that when I've been reading God's Word as you have been reading God's Word, and suddenly a portion of Scripture absolutely slays me as it slays you. And something gets deep down into my soul And it begins to convict me of something I've been doing that I need to stop doing. Or something that I need to start doing that I've not been doing. And suddenly the Word of God is real to me. And it convicts me. And I know that I've got to act upon it. Because God's Word convicts us of things in our lives. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. God's Word is wonderful for many different things in our lives. It comforts us when we are in sorrow. It counsels us when we need wisdom. It strengthens us when we are weak. It guides us all along the journey. But it also convicts us of our sin. This past week I had something happen that has never happened to me before in my life. I turned 63 last Tuesday. And that's never happened before, okay? But something beyond that happened. Friday afternoon as I was working on this sermon in my office. The offices, of course, were closed due to the holiday. The phone began to ring. We have caller ID on our phones here at the church. I'm looking at the number and I don't recognize it. And I'm beginning to think, well, maybe I won't answer because I'm working furiously on this sermon trying to get everything done. And all of a sudden I remembered I am the minister on call this weekend. And that means I've got to answer that phone whether I want to or not. And so I answered the phone, I picked it up, and on the other end there was the voice of an older man who told me a sad story about traveling through this area and had gone to be with his uncle and was hoping to, to have a couple of nights with his uncle and, and it wasn't working out. He and his uncle had had a big fight and he was now homeless. It was cold and getting colder by the moment. And he asked, could we find him some place to stay that night? And I asked all the appropriate questions. Melinda, I always ask all the appropriate questions. And he gave me all the appropriate answers, okay, like they always do. And I realized, okay, I I need to help this guy. So I found out where he was, took the address, and got my old red truck and went over and picked him up and started to take him to one of our local wonderful motels here in Barnesville. And uh, as I did that, I realized I probably need to go ahead and do something that we're supposed to do every time when we're helping folks who are passing through. I probably need to take him to the sheriff's office. And I probably need to to have a criminal background check done on him so I'm not aiding and abetting a fugitive. 
I mean, we're supposed to do that, you know, so that we're not helping somebody we don't need to be helping. Sure enough, I took him over to the sheriff's office, and they, they did this free. They, they're very kind to us, did for free of charge, did a, a criminal background check on this gentleman, and all of a sudden, before I know it, three officers, one of them is a member of our church, three officers are coming out of a back room. They got their uniforms on, they got their guns on. I thought they were after me at first. But uh, they said, they said to, uh, to him, I'm sorry, sir, but there's an outstanding warrant for your arrest in another county. We're going to have to take you in. And he had a little bit to say about that, of course. And uh, they, they ended up, of course, beginning the procedure to arrest him and bring him in. He's going to get several days in a warm place, at least. I can say that. Unfortunately, it's unfortunate the way it happened, but... The bottom line becomes this, you know, I mean, I was, I was standing out there and, and the officer finally said, you're free to go, sir. <laughs> and I wanted to say, I, I never thought there was any question about that, but uh, <laughs> you see, that's like our experience with the Word of God. We go to the Bible for help. And the Bible gives us that help, but sometimes the Bible also convicts us of our sin. He wasn't expecting to go to jail. He was expecting to get a free motel room. And we're not expecting to be convicted of our sin. But when we go to the Word of God, we've got to accept what the Bible gives us. Yes, it is going to help us. It is going to strengthen us. It is going to encourage us. It's going to comfort us. It's going to counsel us. But there are times when it is also going to convict us. Of our sin. And we've got to accept that as good along with all the other good that the Bible brings into our lives. Because you see, in the end, dear friend, the reason that the Bible convicts us of our sin is that we might become more like Jesus. Isn't that the purpose of the Christian life? If you read Romans 8 28, all things work together for those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, verse 29, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestine, that they might be conformed to the image of His Son. See, the Bible's ultimate purpose in our lives is that we become more like Jesus Christ. And that's really what, in the end, it's all about. Then thirdly, hearing the Word and even being convicted by the Word is not the same as doing the Word. Hearing the Word and even being convicted by the Word is not the same as doing the Word. See, sometimes we know the right thing to do and we don't do it. I mean, that's true for you, isn't it? I mean, let's, let's be confessional this morning. That's true for all of us. Sometimes we know the right thing to do and we don't do it. You know that I've got this uh, red meat allergy called alpha-gal. That's the nickname of it. I'm not supposed to eat beef or pork or lamb or deer or elk, or bear, or wabbit, or any of those other things that are typically red meat. And I've got to be careful with that because if I, if I eat something that I shouldn't eat, I may have an anaphylactic reaction. It's happened before. I've had this thing for about six years. I discovered I had it about three years ago with an anaphylactic reaction. You know, that's where your, your, your throat swells up and your tongue swells up and it constricts and you can't breathe. Well, I... Allergy doctor, of course, says I'm the best patient he's got. That tells you what the rest of his patients are like. But uh, he says I'm the best patient he's got. As a matter of fact, I actually asked him to come over to the Rotary Club and do a presentation on Alpha Gal. But I've got to be honest with you now, lately I've had a hankering for some beef. 
I've had a hankering for some beef. Back when Suzanne and I were dating, before we got married, I had taught for six months at South Cobb High School and Cobb County taught science there and had the summer off, of course. I decided I'd go back down to Auburn, rent an apartment there and be with Suzanne during that time. And I, I went to work for McDonald's while I was there. Worked for McDonald's for about three months and I, tra- I tasted everything they offered. Tasted everything they offered several times. I came to settle on my absolute favorite was a Big Mac. My absolute favorite was a Big Mac sandwich. I like mine with extra sauce and extra pickles on it. That's the way I wanted mine. And, of course, I could have mine any way I wanted it since I worked there. And, uh, you know, I ate those all summer long. And, and just recently I've had a hankering for some Big Macs. And I've I got to be honest with you, I've given in to temptation. I've eaten a couple of Big Macs lately. I knew I wasn't supposed to, I, I, but I've done it. I've tried to get away with it. And I, like all of us, I rationalized it to myself you know, we all make up reasons why our sin isn't so bad and why we can do what we know we shouldn't be doing. And, and my, my reaction has simply been to say this, a Big Mac don't have enough beef in it to give me a reaction, okay? So that's what I've... That's my rationality, okay? That's, that's what I'm thinking. One of these days when I have a reaction, we'll prove that theory wrong. You see... I have only been a hearer of my doctor. I have not been a doer of what my doctor tells me to do. The Bible says we've got to be hearers and doers of the Word of God. Look with me, if you will, at James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. It says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James uses the word hears here from the perspective, of course, that this is like someone who goes to a lecture and only listens with no ambition whatsoever to ever apply that lecture to his life. It's like auditing a class. Maybe you've audited a class in college and you took the class, but... You weren't really enrolled in the class, and you weren't going to be graded for the class, and the class wasn't going to count for anything for you. You just wanted to sit through it. Some of us just sit through the Christian life. We hear the Word of God, but we don't actually do the Word of God. James uses a simple, everyday illustration of being a hearer, but not a doer of the Word of God. He says it's like looking at yourself in a mirror, and you look at yourself and you say, well, I... I need to wash my face, it's dirty, or I need to comb my hair. I don't say that very often, but I need to comb my hair. You know, I I need to trim my beard. And then you turn away from that mirror, and you don't do what you said you needed to do. And that's like hearing the Word of God, but not doing the Word of God. An unknown author captured eloquently how we as Christians often see needs that need to be met. But we walk away because we're either too busy or we really don't care. Put it this way. I was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was imprisoned and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your own health. I was homeless and you preached to me about the spiritual shelter of God's love. I was lonely and you left me alone alone rather, so that you could go to church. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still so very hungry and lonely and cold. See, being doers of the Word applies to how we serve others. When we see a need, 
The Word of God tells us we need to try to meet that need. But first and foremost, being doers of the Word applies to our moral lives. Look with me, if you will, at Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. In concluding the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers several illustrations, and this is one of them. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will say to you plainly, I never knew you away from me, you who work evil or iniquity. We have a problem in the church. It's not a new problem. It's not a problem limited to our church. It's in every church. It's a problem of the moral disconnect problem where we read the Word of God and we know what it says and we call ourselves Christians and we come to church Sunday in and Sunday out but then we don't do what it says. Perhaps we don't do what it says in our financial life. The Bible talks to us about how we ought to give. And we can read it and read it and read it but if we don't do it then we're hearers of the Word but not doers of the Word. The Bible talks to us, pardon me for getting personal, but the Bible talks to us about our sexual lives. It tells us what is right, and it tells us what is wrong. And yet, folks go to church Sunday in and Sunday out and live the wrong way. And they know they're living the wrong way. It's a moral disconnect. The Bible tells us how we need to live with regard to honesty and integrity. Yet sometimes, in order to save a buck, we'll cheat or we'll lie. And the Bible tells us that's sinful. And that we need to be doers of the Word and not just hearers of the Word of God. If you get anything out of this message today, I hope you will get out of this message the concept that just sitting here hearing the Word of God has done nothing for you unless you're willing to apply it to your life. You've got to be willing to say, this is where God's Word meets my life and I am willing to apply it to my everyday living. See, dear friend, biblical knowledge without life application is spiritual abortion. Biblical knowledge without life application is spiritual abortion. You're aborting the Word of God. Fourth and finally, When the Spirit helps us to apply the Word, then our lives reflect the light of Christ. When the Spirit helps us to apply the Word, then our lives reflect the light of Christ. John 8, verse 12, one of my favorite verses. Jesus says this after His encounter with the religious leaders and the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. You recall they wanted to stone her to death. They told Jesus, what do you say? And Jesus said, Let the one who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. And they all walked away because they were ashamed of themselves. Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, Lord, they're all gone. And Jesus said, well, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Beautiful paralleling of grace and truth that we see in the words of Jesus. Where He's saying, I forgive you. Now change your life. Change your life. Become that new person in Christ 
that you have the potential to become. And then he says, verse eight, verse 12, at the very end of that story, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Think about the impact that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ could make on our community, on our country, and on our world if each and every one of us would walk in the light of life. What if we really got right with God and stopped doing what is wrong and started doing what is right? What a world-changing impact that would have on us and those around us. If we were simply willing to become serious about Jesus, serious about His Word, serious about how we live our lives each and every day. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light... As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from every sin. When the 18th century evangelist John Wesley was returning home from a service one night, he was robbed. The thief was very disappointed, though, because he found that Wesley had very little money, but he had a lot of Christian literature that the thief really didn't want. As the bandit was leaving, Wesley called out, Stop! I have something more to give you! The surprised robber stopped and Wesley said, My friend, you may live to regret this sort of life. And if ever you do, then here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. The thief, of course, hurried away. And Wesley prayed that somehow God's word would make a difference in that man's life. Years passed. Wesley was greeting people after a Sunday service when he was approached by a stranger. What a surprise to learn that this visitor, now a a believer in Christ and a successful businessman, had been the very man who had robbed him years earlier. He said to Wesley, I owe it all to you. John Wesley said to that transformed man these words, Oh no, my friend, you don't owe it to me. You owe it to the Word of God and to the blood of Jesus Christ, which has cleansed you from all of your sin. The Bible is the book of books. It changes our lives from the inside out, but only does that as we obey the Holy Spirit and apply it to our lives. And this morning, if you have never made the commitment to become a Christian, God has an invitation that applies especially for you. It's the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, whosoever believes in Him, should not perish but have everlasting life. God's invitation to find life and life in Christ is as wide as the world. You can be that whosoever this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your grace that it extends to us, Lord, that it is freely given to us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Thank You that You love us more than we can possibly love ourselves, that You died to save us, and that this morning, Lord, You woo... And you call each and every one of us to come to you and to follow you with all of our hearts. Father, help us this day to do exactly that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.